You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus, and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on the forest floor for far too long, and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Now, uh, we start, of course, how can we not, uh, with the chaos in Washington, D.C. Overnight, the scenes at the Capitol of the uh, storming of the Capitol by protesters, uh, gunfire and various disruptions. And then, of course, uh, the Congress actually voting in the end, when they resumed, uh, to approve, to accept uh, the election of Joe Biden. Formal recognition, if you like, as next US president. The process, of course, was disrupted by all those protests and uh, what will happen now in terms of further demonstrations, if indeed there will be some, uh, is a matter of some concern. Uh, Let's bring in our guest, uh, Tim Loughton, who's Conservative MP for East Worthing and Shoreham. Tim, welcome to the programme and thanks for being with us. Um, Just first off, give us your thoughts about what you, like many of us, I guess, witnessed last night. Well, Roger, I think, like most people over here, it was just quite unbelievable, the scenes we saw in, uh, in, in Washington. This was a mob whipped up by the outgoing uh, president attacking the seat of, of democracy. And the, the, the front pages of the UK newspapers this morning got headlined things like anarchy in the, uh, in the UK, democracy under, uh, under siege, assault on, uh, on democracy. Um, who would have ever thought we would see that happening in the, uh, in the state? I think many of us thought that, that Trump would uh, go out with a bang, but that it was never going to go quietly, but nothing of this uh, magnitude and any credibility he still has left, I'm afraid, been completely shredded last night. Yeah, it, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it, Tim? Good morning. Um, I mean, given what we've seen, does the UK need to be thinking differently then about how it forms relationships abroad? We talk so much about the special relationship. Is it now uh, maybe a better idea to be looking elsewhere to form those close international links? No, absolutely not. What, what, what happened last night was unique, um, and I'm afraid it's sort of symptomatic of the way that President Trump has run the country and, and then refuses to acknowledge what vast majority of people acknowledge, the democratic outcome of a, uh, an election. 
I mean, this takes sore loser to a whole new um, uh, level. I thought that Biden's comments were measured, balanced, and really statesmanlike, which is something that Trump has singularly failed to uh, uh, to be. Uh, and he needs to get the country back on an even um, keel, which I think in many respects that the events of last night might have made it easier for him to, to do by completely ostracizing and polarizing those extreme Trumpists um, and making it easier for the Republican Party to detach themselves from what has been an aberration over the last uh, four, four years. And of course we must continue... Uh, to be as close as possible to our closest ally in the uh, in the states, I don't think last night's uh, events changed that imperative at all. Are there lessons to be drawn, though, perhaps uh, on this side of the Atlantic, in terms of what populism, that kind of politics, can lead to? We know there have been extremely high passions uh, in politics recently here in the UK, particularly obviously over the Brexit issue. Is that uh, does it risk stirring up the kind of emotions that were witnessed in Washington last night? I just don't buy this, and and I was doing some commentary on radio last night with some other. Uh, politicians who were trying, I thought, rather opportunistically and rather desperately to draw parallels with the uh, uh, with the UK. Um, we don't go storming Parliament in this uh, in this country. We allow free and fair expression, and we have constantly demonstrations outside uh, Parliament. But they don't then go and try and overrun the uh, the democratic um, process. I think we're exceedingly. Um, tolerant and no politician certainly not on the right has done anything to whip up that sort of uh, physical uh, response that we saw in uh, and violent response we saw in washington last, Hang on, uh, Tim, uh, last this, night this really evokes the the 2016 brexit referendum i mean an mp died during that at the hands of somebody shouting britain first and you remember as i do the atmosphere was was toxic at the time and there were politicians elected or not who were whipping up that sort of that sort of mood so it is something that we've seen over here before no it's not it's an altogether different magnitude we had a very heated debate over brexit which i hope at long last has been put to uh, to bed as we completed the process on the 31st of uh, december and there were some isolated uh, violent incidents including the tragic killing of joe uh, cox by an individual it was altogether there were not um riots uh, that stormed parliament in some cases there were rather too heated uh, uh, demonstrations but there were no mainstream politicians who had tried to uh, cause insurrection and overthrow democracy which is effectively what what trump was calling for last uh, last night by whipping up folk in the way that he did Let's move on then to the question of the measures here in the UK uh, in relation to the virus. I mean, they've stirred some passions amongst a minority of people, as we've seen demonstrations in London, a very small kind. But I, I, I note that you um, you abstained on the vote on the new lockdown measures. What should we read into that? Well, I um, voted against the last lockdown uh, vote that we uh, had. And I've taken the view, and I've been consistent, I hope, all along... One, absolutely recognising the seriousness of the situation we're in, and particularly with this new variant that uh, ramped up the figures uh, uh, recently, and I know the pressure that the health services uh, is on. What I don't buy is that just having another broad brush, and in this case rather hastily proposed uh, national uh, lockdown, is necessarily the best way to combat 
and the government's got a really difficult job. I don't deny this at all. They've got to balance the medical opinion they're getting. They've got to balance the financial economic impact that they're seeing. But they've also got to balance what pu- the public are saying and feeling. And people are getting lockdown fatigue. People are challenging the logic and the consistency of some of the regulations they're being asked to, uh, uh, to follow. And unless you've got the buy-in of the public, then any amount of regulations is going to be pointless because we need people to, to follow them. And there were too many inconsistencies in some of the things that the regulations mm-hmm. brought back in, in what we had a vote on last, uh, last night. And also the fact we were promised that there will be sunset clauses so they effectively expire at the end of January right. and then we would have to mandate more regulations after that. But that data being put back to the end of March, and that's what I took issue um, with. Now, very few people were going to vote against them, and it was likely that there wouldn't have been a voter at all. There was a vote. A small number of 16 people voted against, and I thought it was pointless uh, to vote against, so I just abstained, along with quite a lot of colleagues who actually shared those, uh, those views of mine. But they've gone through. That's now the law, and we need everybody to abide by the law. It's interesting what you say about lockdown fatigue, because, I mean, a lot of the polls that we look at and the pollsters we speak to say that the support for lockdowns remains strong. But it does raise the question of if we're not going to do a lockdown, which granted we are, but if we weren't, what would we do instead? I mean, yesterday we saw deaths cross a thousand for the first time since April. The situation, as as I'm sure you'd agree, is incredibly dire. It is. And that absolutely needs to be a wake up call to everybody that they can't be complacent. This has been going on for 10 uh, months, but we need to be more vigilant than ever, and we need everybody to abide by the common sense um, regulations. But the trouble is when you have new things being brought in, such as, may seem a little thing, but golf has been banned again. So two people can go out for a walk, but you can't knock a ball around a large open space. You can't play tennis. You can't um, go... Uh, fishing, you can't get beer from off-licence sales from a from a pub. These are all things that came in in the first lockdown and then was shown to be so ridiculous and there was no logic in terms of the risk that it supposedly added that they were relaxed. They all came back in again last night. When people see things like that, they think, hold on, this is, this is crazy, this isn't consistent, this isn't logical, and it yeah. undermines their confidence to follow many of the other things that we absolutely do need them to, uh, to follow around masks and social distancing and all sorts of other things. Tim, let me ask you briefly about vaccines, obviously a key thing. The health secretary, Matt Hancock, has said hundreds of new sites are opening this week in order to administer it. The supply of vaccines can take place on all seven days of the week, but in a regular way, we do it on six days of the week. On the seventh day, people can either rest or deliver further vaccine if that's what's necessary. So that was Matt Hancock there. So, Tim, do you think the Prime Minister is going to hit his goal of vaccinating 13 million people by mid-February? I think we will, and we absolutely need to, because this is the single most important thing the government needs to be focused on. This is the only real way out of this pandemic crisis we're in at the the moment. The government has absolutely done the right thing and should be given credit for buying up 350 million doses, I, I think, more than any other country in the in the world and getting them out faster than any other country in the world and we've delivered more than any other country bar i think israel so far but when i hear matt hancock and others saying we are going to be working we've got shifts working 12 hours a day seven days a week to deliver the vaccine fantastic what about the other 12 hours a day we need to be doing this 24 hours a day seven days a week and i said in the speech i in the debate last night 
that um, there are people coming forward volunteering, being trained up to give uh, vaccinations, recently retired medics, people being trained up by the St. John's Ambulance Volunteers and, and others. They will readily work overnight shifts. There are little old ladies in my constituency who will come in at four o'clock in the morning, help make tea and, and everything that needs to be, to be done. And frankly, if you're offered a vaccination at 4 a.m. or four or six weeks' time, I think people will go out of their way and turn up at 4 a.m. We need to have a 24-hour conveyor belt of people getting, getting jabbed. And I think then, if we did see that, then people mm. would be absolutely convinced that, gosh, we've got our, our foot fully on the, uh, on the gas and we're getting through this. And we just need oh, to yeah. ramp it up as much as possible. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And, Roger, we start with a change in policing tactics. Indeed. Uh, we begin with a pandemic. People could be stopped by police to explain why they're away from home during the current lockdown. The Metropolitan Police says the public should expect officers to be more inquisitive. Londoners breaching COVID legislation quotes are likely to face fines. It all comes after the force's Police Federation chairman, Ken Marsh, said the latest lockdown would put a lot of pressure on officers in the capital as their numbers were already reduced, while 1,300 of them were off sick or self-isolating. Yeah, it's all been very polite so far, hasn't it? The th is it three E's, four E's, engage and explain and all the rest of it uh, before you get to any sort of real enforcement? Meanwhile, uh, school's very much still on the agenda. Uh, a huge majority of England's teachers now saying that the edu Education Secretary, Gavin Williamson, should resign. This is a poll that was done on behalf of ITV News that found that 92% of almost 6,000 respondents think that Williamson should go. That comes amid... Growing criticism of the government's handling of the crisis. Remember, they opened schools for a day and closed them again. Some unions and head teachers calling for the education secretary to go as well. So the pressure is building there, although we did see Boris Johnson standing by him earlier in the week. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson's asking business leaders to help him decide which regulations should be ripped up now the UK's left the EU. 250 corporate leaders joined a call with the Prime Minister discussing what red tape could be cut to make life easier for Britain's businesses post-Brexit. Sources tell Bloomberg Johnson also said that the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, would lead a drive to speed up the machinery of government. Hmm, yeah, that's an interesting one. Um, and then another interesting one, if you're a, a, a little bit nerdy again, I feel like this is a theme this week, but uh, this is around leasehold reform. The government's saying that it's going to give four and a half million people the ability to cancel ground rents on homes they've bought for a fixed time period. The Housing Secretary, Robert Jenrick, has said that anyone who's bought their property for a specific duration, known as leasehold in this country, will be able to extend uh, their lease for 990 years at zero ground rent. That means they won't have to pay a fee to the owner of the land the property is on. It's great news if you're a leaseholder. It's less great news if you're a freeholder or a leasehold management company. The companies make, man make a lot of money out of this. Uh, but this is something that's been bubbling for a long time. There's a very big lobby who have been fighting to get rid of this. I mean, it's a very archaic system. It's so weird that we have it in this country. And it seems finally to be starting to crumble just a little bit. 
see if that becomes one of the new things the government wants to do post-Brexit. But let's now talk about those extraordinary, unprecedented events in Washington as pro-Trump supporters stormed Congress. The frankly bizarre image of China warning its citizens to take precautions for their safety now in Washington, D.C. And a president who, after Congress resumed its sitting and declared Joe Biden the election winner, has accepted there will be an orderly transition on January the 20th, but he still doesn't accept that he lost. Well, let's digest some of this with Ewan Morgan, who's Emeritus Professor of US History at the Institute of the Americas at University College here in London. So, Ewan Morgan, welcome to the programme and thank you for being with us. Okay, just give us off the top your reaction to what you saw last night. Well, uh, incredible and unprecedented scenes. Uh, I never expected uh, uh, anything like this to happen in the United States. Uh, it's uh, almost like uh, a Ukrainian or East European situation in the cradle of democracy. And uh, the fact that uh, it was effectively incited by the President of the United States uh, brings into question the strength of American democracy. Well, that's exactly the question. I mean, I feel like people look to America like they look to Britain around the world as really a symbol of, 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 of sort of the power and, and, and the uh, importance of democracy. Is this really what we've seen over the last 24 hours? Does this mark a fundamental shift in terms of uh, just how much trust we can put in these institutions? Well, in the case of the United States, uh, Trump has been eroding democracy uh, from the day he became president. Uh, and like uh, all would-be authoritarians, uh, he's created a myth. And the myth has always been that uh, uh, there has been an evil cabal in the American government that has conspired against the people. He is there to root out uh, the wrongdoers and to make America great again. And the the ultimate expression of this myth is that uh, he won re-election by a landslide, but uh, uh, his enemies conspired to deny it. Now, uh, these are completely crackpot uh, claims, but uh, we have to see them against the backdrop uh, of a president who doesn't believe in democracy, uh, who believes only in himself. And one of the greatest challenges facing the new president President Joe Biden, in addition to uh, uh, resolving COVID-19 problems, dealing with the economy, uh, dealing with Black Lives Matter, dealing with the environment, the fifth great challenge he faces, and possibly the, the, the most significant one, is to restore trust in America's institutions of government and the fundamental democracy of its electoral process. When you talked about what Trump was peddling as a myth. But it's a myth that a lot of people believe in, clearly. I mean, we saw them last night, Trump supporters, pretty numerous on the streets of Washington, much more numerous in the rest of the country. They're clearly angry. They clearly believe what he said. What else could they now do? Is there a risk of further events like this? Or, or, or will they form a, a very important and effective political force? What will happen? 
Well, I suppose the first uh, uh, issue will be uh, the inauguration. Um, if there's a demonstration uh, in Washington uh, on inauguration day, uh, that could uh, create uh, huge problems. Uh, uh, significantly, uh, a lot of the demonstrators were sitting on the, uh, uh, the, the seating that had been erected outside the Capitol uh, where the um, uh, inauguration will be held. So, you know, that's the first thing. Uh, I suppose the second thing uh, is uh, whether Donald Trump has said he wants a peaceful transition. Uh, will he legitimize that transition by himself attending uh, the inauguration? Uh, only three times in American history has the outgoing president not uh, attended the inauguration of his successor. Uh, one was in 1800, the, other, the next time was in 1801, sorry, then 1829, and the last time was 1869. So for something like 100 50 years, uh, the democratic legitimacy of the electoral process has been recognized by the outgoing president. Will Donald Trump do that? And if he doesn't, what, what would be the consequences uh, for his many supporters? Um, Ewan, what about social media in all of this? There are people who say that we're in this new age now where there's so much information available to people, not all of it true, and that is a large part of what's whipped up this angry mob and of course here you get the link with the UK as well we saw the Cambridge Analytica scandal play out we've seen uh, how that can impact people's uh, decisions at the ballot box how much blame then should we lay at the door of Facebook Twitter and the like well the, the, the social media uh, is in one way a great boon. Uh, it's uh, changed uh, life for the better in many ways, but one of its uh, uh, damaging consequences is definitely this uh, fact that uh, you can peddle lies, you can peddle untruths, you can peddle myths via these uh, uh, platforms, and there are people who believe them. Uh, now, uh, what, what is interesting is that uh, politics, uh, which was once a great turn-off uh, for uh, many Americans, indeed many people were, were, uh, throughout the world. Now, politics has become one of the great passions uh, in the age of the internet, but that passion uh, is very often ill-informed and irrational, and uh, how it is going to be turned around is uh, a, a, a uh, problem that uh, no one seems to have an answer to. Uh, if you shut off um, uh, Twitter accounts of uh, people like Trump, they have other ways of uh, reaching their followers, and their followers will see that shutting off as confirmation uh, that uh, a deep state is at work trying to uh, destroy the uh, uh, rights of the people to hear from their president. Uh, no conversation of this kind, I suppose, would happen without me using the phrase special relationship at some point. And let's talk about that. I mean, how should Britain now deal with uh, a U.S. that clearly seems to have changed in many ways and uh, right at the moment, perhaps with a Biden administration that may not be that friendly necessarily to the Johnson administration? Well, it's interesting uh, how... Uh, 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 
people in the British government have spoken out against uh, uh, what happened yesterday. Uh, this is very unusual to, be, uh, to begin with, you know, the commenting on internal American developments. Uh, uh, so uh, there, there's obviously uh, a change going on. Uh, the, the United Kingdom could sell its relationship uh, with uh, the United States in the past as the uh, uh, alliance of the world's two greatest democracies. Uh, uh, it is much more difficult to sell that now. And uh, the uh, Britain faces a problem. Uh, it is no longer in the European Union. And its usefulness to the United States is uh, diminished. Uh, uh, it, uh, it remains, of course, an important ally in NATO, but one of the uh, usefulness, uh, one of the most important uses uh, for uh, the United States of British membership uh, of the European Union was that it was the most pro-American voice in that mm. uh, uh, community, and that that is now gone. So um, it's going to take a while to resolve things, and of course Biden, uh, uh, the uh, uh, second uh, Catholic president and the second of Irish extraction uh, has a particular interest in what happens in Ireland. So uh, uh, developments on uh, that uh, that island uh, will be will continue to be an important focus, uh, and um, the uh, Biden government will hold the Johnson government to task to ensure that uh, there is no dissent uh, in the uh, uh, post-Brexit uh, era back into the troubles of the past. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.